Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Comic Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, we'll be discussing recently released comics, one from DC, one from Marvel, and at least one other. As always, we'll keep major spoilers to a minimum, but we'll discuss general plot points and storylines of the comics we review. It is a few minutes after 11 p.m. on Saturday. We've just gotten back from a fairly full day at the, the convention. Um, man, where to start on this? Uh, for me, I think uh, I spent part of the day just finishing off part of the floor and stuff that I hadn't already done. Mm-hmm. Um, the big thing in the morning for me was I went to Brian Haberlin's panel on kind of 3D modeling in reference to printing and stuff like that. A lot of the stuff he does on 3D modeling is more for how to use it in uh, a computer-generated uh, or computer reference for uh, comic book art. Ah, okay. So, and there are different needs. You know, you, you can use really high-res models and stuff when you're generating the image, but you don't want to send that off to go get printed. It's big, it's slow, etc. So, just different tool sets uh, for dealing with some of that. Um, overall, it was very educational. It's... Uh, a space that I'm interested in, but not particularly knowledgeable about. Uh, I was aware of shape ways that you should hollow the model out before printing it so you don't waste all the material. Um, I knew about Thingiverse. I knew about ZBrush. Uh, what I didn't know is apparently Photoshop has some pretty good 3D tools. Interesting. Particularly in terms of like auto-fixing, um, you know, watertight sealing of the model and uh, rafting. If you wind up with a model that's just got kind of odd shapes... Since all consumer level printers, for the most part, um, are a filament deposit system, mm-hmm. it's um, basically you're shooting plastic through a tube and melting it and letting it cool off and building something up. Mm-hmm. What's well, great, unless there's nothing under it there for it to kind of stay, it falls. Mm-hmm. So you need a raft to build up if you've got a big overhang or something. One of the big tests they'll do for a 3D printer is kind of like a suspension bridge sort of a, a deal. Got it. You know, can it, how, how wide of a gap can it, can it handle? Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that Photoshop had some good, uh, tools for that was pretty interesting. Um, and he mentioned one or two other tools and stuff. Um, but that was, uh, that was a fun panel. I always enjoy listening to him speak on 3D stuff, uh, between anomaly, shifter, faster than light. He's definitely, I think, something of a pioneer in this space. And just has that, and he does the digitalarttutorials.com website. So he's very conversant in teaching this stuff. Hmm. So whenever I have the chance at a convention to, to listen to one of his panels, I usually try to take advantage of it. Then after that, I went to the uh, DC Publishers panel. I and mean, that was uh, Jim Lee Dandidio. And then later, I think it was Adrian, I forget his last name. One of the things Dan did at the beginning was, okay, you know, who reads print, who reads digital, who reads both? Okay. Everybody put your hand up. Anyone who's been reading comics, you know, less than, you know, five years, put your hand up. Ten, fifteen, you know, all the way. Till he got down to the one guy who'd been doing it like 60 years. Mm. It was funny because right at 50, mm-hmm. two DC people still had their hands up. Nice. 51, one of them had their hand up. That was their break point at that point, which they found endlessly amusing. Um, but after all this, establishing how long some people have been reading. When it came time for questions, which was pretty early in. Uh, the first, first or second question 
Who's the second? Came from a kid who's maybe 12, maybe younger. Mm-hmm. And he's always wanted to be a comic book writer. And they're like, define always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? Six, seven years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he had a very impassioned plea, you know, I want to write for DC, all this kind of stuff. What do I got to do? And they took a liking to him and basically invited him up on the, the, the stage for the rest of the panel. Nice. That was as much so Dan Didio could occasionally throw to him. And the guy, the kid was just, wow. Yeah. You know, double wow, you know, kind of a thing. He was, it made his day, mm-hmm. which was cool. Um, He also had, the kid had gone through, I forget, it's a, a program I've heard. I read something about, they had a panel, it's here in town where they actually teach kids about comics. Mm. How to write, how to draw, how to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been taking those classes for about two years. Nice. So, and I forget the name of that program, but it was a really uh, kind of a good endorsement for them. Mm-hmm. And here's a kid who's very passionate about it and they're helping channel that. Um, the announcements they kind of made was that they didn't have a Wildstorm announcement because, gee, what are you going to do with Wildstorm characters? common question for Jim Lee to get and it was basically can't announce anything yet but they're going to announce something about Wildstorm at New York Comic Con Ah, so they announced an announcement Um, there was talk about kind of a two year plan uh, not necessarily for Rebirth per se but kind of integrating the new 52 timeline and the pre-new 52 timelines and smoothing that out and kind of figuring out what's going on they've they've got a game plan Mm -hmm. um and there was talk about how one of the big pieces of feedback they'd gotten was how the kind of generational aspect of DC had been missing. Because before the New 52, they had established you had the Justice Society, the Golden Age Flash and Green Lantern oh, and such. You know, the Jay Garrick Flash. Then you had the Silver Age, the Barry Allen Flash. Mm-hmm. Then you had kind of the Bronze Age, the Wally West Flash. Then you had a younger group of characters. Because that Wally West group also fit kind of the rest of the new Teen Titans. Nightwing, uh, uh, Wonder Girl, uh, the Donna Troy one, uh, Arsenal slash Speedy, a few others. That were kind of the first generative sidekicks that had kind of graduated. Mm-hmm. And then they had kind of a, a, another set, the Young Justice crew. Mm-hmm. You know, the Connor, uh, um, Kent, uh, Superboy, the uh, Impulse, uh, who later became Kid Flash, who later became Flash. You know, and that uh, the that whole group of, of characters. And that they felt that by having compressed the timeline with the New 52, they'd pretty much eradicated it because they'd completely eradicated it. Mm. And bringing that back in adds a very unique layer to their universe that just doesn't really exist over at Marvel. And currently at DC too. Yeah. You know, but having the, the elder statesman hero, you know, group of heroes, the, the again, the Superman-Batman class kind of, again, two levels beneath it, it, it allows for some very interesting storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be returning. They mentioned that a Justice League of America title was going to be returning. Um, they didn't give a time frame, but that it was going to spill out of other stories. Uh, they announced Scooby-Doo Team-Up is going to be going monthly in October. They at least confirmed that. I think the question, actually, I hadn't realized that. I'm very happy about that. Uh, that was a title Drew and I reviewed recently, and I really enjoyed it. Have since picked up the trade. Still got to get issue number 15. But great, great stuff. Um, what was interesting also is they talked about digital sales a little. Uh, in terms of Jim Lee flat out said the digital sales are about 10 to 15% on any title compared to the print sales. Mm-hmm. And that they had initially 
have been very protective of the retailers, the mom and pop stores, the, the bread and butter of the industry, really. Because there was a definite fear that the digital sales could erode that and obliterate that. <coughs> and how that fear has really been unfounded. Interesting. And, you know, it's gotten to where that those those digital sales have kind of flatlined. And, the, you know, part of it is comics are a collectible medium. Yes. You know, there's a certain convenience to the digital format. But it's not kind of wiping out the print sales. And, you know, at one point I was convinced trades were going to kind of become the dominant revenue stream. That never happened. And at one point it was starting to look with digital climbing every year that maybe it would. And it's looking like maybe that will never happen. You know, so it's, uh, I think the industry's still in a little transition state there. Um, one of the last questions was actually towards uh, this Adrian kid. You know, what's your first story at DC going to be? And that's when it's like, here's his background at the, the, the school teaching comics or whatever, and how he reads Grant Morrison, which really kind of surprised Dan Didio. It's like, Grant Morrison, really? How old are you? Mm. Um, and the kid mentioned how Grant Morrison had done Multiversity. There's plans for a Multiversity 2 from what he's heard. So he kind of like to do a Multiversity 3. Interesting. It's like, okay, all right. Um, but part of what came out of all that was both the confirmation of Multiversity 2 and how they're shifting to an infinite number of universes versus capping it at 52. Got it. Which is just a smart move all the way around. Um, so all in all, it was a fun panel. Um, a lot of good questions. Uh, you know, a lot of kind of joking around or whatever, as I would expect from, from those two publishers. Um, actually, right before I walked into there, I bumped into uh, Brian Christman Pants from uh, CGS. Uh, talked with him for a minute or two um, before I, I headed into the panel. Great guy. Mentioned uh, things were going good. He wasn't buying a whole lot, but I think he's more kind of... I think he was saving that kind of purchasing for closer-to-home conventions. Yeah. Because he lives on the East Coast. Yeah. So the whole having to, to finagle it through the airport and whatnot, certainly uh, understand that. But he seemed to be having a good time. Would have liked to have talked to him longer, but again, I had places to be, he had places to be, but always enjoy chatting with him. He's a he's a great guy, very knowledgeable on DC and, and stuff, uh, and just fun to hang with. Um, I was going to go to the Miraculous Ladybug panel, um, which actually wound up being in the same room as the DC one, but by that point, I'd already spent you know a couple hours straight in panels, and it's like, okay, I want to walk the floor a little bit more. Um, so I did that. Um, probably would have saved a lot of money if I'd gone to that, uh, miraculous, uh, ladybug panel. Wound up, uh, spending a, a couple of bucks here and there. Uh, one of the places I went to was the efxcollectibles.com uh, booth. They were the ones last year that had the Back to the Future clock tower, uh, end okay. cases. That's the, right. The, uh, the time dashboard thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year they had the time dashboard thing again from the DeLorean. Which, if I had somewhere to put in the car, we'd probably get. Um, but they also had these scaled replicas of Captain America's shield. One from uh, the Avengers, and then one from Captain America Civil War. They were like 35 bucks a piece. Small, lightweight, so I wouldn't mind carrying them around all day. Uh, which I wound up doing, because I, I bought both. Uh, the Civil War one was a convention exclusive. And I'm sure at some point I'll see these pop up in previews or something like that, because I'm Convention exclusives are not as exclusive as sometimes are pretended to be. But they look cool. Yeah. I've wanted shields for a while. This is more practical than a full size. Yes. 
Um, so I did that. And then one of the things that's nice about going to Comic-Con, having gone to Comic-Con for many, 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 many years, and being so introverted as to my what I like and stuff, I, through a friend, was uh, lucky enough to be able to buy one of the few exclusives I was actually interested in, but had, had kind of chalked up to, that's a lot of hoop jumping to go through. Um, and we're far enough from the, the convention center where we're staying that the get up and be in a line at 7 a.m. kind of a thing just doesn't work. But other people apparently are awake at that hour. Yeah, it's a miracle in my opinion. Um, so them knowing my, my interest in certain of these things, because again, I'm so shy about that. Uh, I was actually able to get the exclusive Red Ranger, uh, action figure from Bandai. Very cool. Uh, looks awesome. Uh, very happy to have gotten that. Um, and really, I mean, Bandai, Bandai, Saban, and Boom. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of, of positive Power Ranger energy on the floor. A lot of people in costumes, people being happy. Um, at the Lionsgate booth, mm-hmm. they're doing, uh, giving away the posters. They've also got the Power Ranger lanyards through other friends. Wound up with a blue and a yellow one. Um, we'd already gotten the red one because it's a stand in the line do the photo which couldn't care less about the photo but wanted the lanyard wanted the lanyard i mean i've been sporting a super sentai red shirt every day at the con so having a power ranger lanyard just seemed appropriate um so getting two of the other colors is cool i think uh pink and black would be the other ones that they probably have and then wound up with uh another one or two of the uh lightning bolt uh pins or whatever they're giving out you have um, good friends. Yes, yes, I do. Well, and part of it is again having been to this convention, having grown up out here. I know a lot of people at this mm-hmm. convention. Well, and not to skip to the end of the day, but we did do a little after dinner. A little. I picked this up. It's what you're interested in, right? <laughs> with some of our friends as well, they were exchanging back with us. I picked this up because I thought you were interested in it, right? And that's a. It's hard to cover the entire floor. But frequently, you'll see something, and you'll say, I know one of my friends is into this, yes. and they'll appreciate it. Well, and again, that's how I got the, the two lanyards and stuff. Yeah. So it's one of those things, if you're going to a convention with friends, and what I love about the friends we hang with is they're usually uh, before the con starts. So what are you guys looking for this time? Mm-hmm. And they pay attention to the answer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I, it, I love that. Yeah. It makes having, um, you know, it makes the convention just a lot more fun. It does. You know, so did that kind of shopping around, uh, picked up a couple of brochures here and there. I was very tempted by one of the exclusives at um, the 112 Collective. Have I told you about these action figures? Not sure. 112 scale, so six inch action figures. Um, they're not far from the Quantum Mechanics booth. Okay. Back end of the hall over there. And along one side of it, they have a really good display of all their figures. I got hooked when I had first seen... Well, actually, I was doing the episode, the editing for Preview Spotlight 100. Okay. Listeners sent in almost 100 clips. Like, well, you know, it's close enough. I ought to do another clip or two. So I'm flipping through previews, looking for something to do a clip on. And I stumble across the Spock action figure. Mm. And the lightness is amazing. And then I went to their website, and the photography of the thing was amazing. Because they dummied up backdrops and stuff like that. I mean, it looked like, you know, an action figure standing on the set of the bridge. Nice. But, I mean, like Nimoy, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, 
So it's like, okay, I'll get Spock, I'll get Sulu, I'll get Kirk. Um, but then they started doing all sorts of superhero ones. Okay. In very rapid succession, which was their downfall with me. Yeah, budget killers. If they'd slowed down and if I'd had a ga- an idea of their game plan. Yeah. I could have planned accordingly. So I'd ordered the, the only superhero one I've gotten on order is the Captain uh, Commander Rogers. Steve Rogers yeah. kind of not being Captain America. Got it. Um, but they have a convention exclusive Captain America one. Mm. Of course, they have two other non-exclusive Captain America ones. And just, I wish they'd put them a little closer together so I could compare side by side. Oh, I see. But it was $110 and it's, uh, it's, it's more than I can swing. I mean, I could afford it. I just couldn't justify it. Um, I was, not I was going to go. I went to the Eagle Moss panel. Um, well, now you're at three o'clock. I'm at three o'clock. Haven't covered my day. Shall we cover your day up till three? Well, I was just going to say, I walked the floor until uh, about 2.30. See, we're then- not that far off. That was quick. I'm kidding, though. <laughs> what did you do when you walked the floor? I, I like to just wander the floor, see what's going on. I'm a very aimless, I do not have your systematic walking at the floor. I am going to hazard a guess you, you went by... Book publishers. I was going to say aisle yeah. 1500 and 1000 yeah. to hit the book publishers a few times. Which, which is why that portion of my day, easy to cover. I, I carried that bag halfway back from the car to the, the hotel room. It was heavy. Only halfway. But it's what I did next that is fun and interesting. Yes. It was then that I went to the uh, Star Trek press conference. Mm-hmm. And uh, William Shatner, Scott Bakula, Brent Spiner, Jerry Ryan... Michael Dorn. Michael Dorn. I'm trying to think. Um, they had two producers for the new show and Rod Roddenberry there. Mm. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, listening to the actors talk in a little about, they didn't get asked kind of a, what has Star Trek meant to you? But what has it felt like meeting people who have come to you and said, you know, I was inspired to go into NASA because of watching what you did inspired to become actor you mm-hmm. know to become doctors and physicists and all these things because of you and so that was very interesting and uh, scott bacula was saying that basically you know i got a skype call from someone who was up on the international space station having just watched episodes of enterprise and you know he wanted to talk to me how cool is that for both sides of that conversation just amazing You've got Scott Bakula actually talking to an astronaut in the International Space Station. Yeah. Real time. And then you've got the guy up there who you can't get into NASA, and I certainly don't think you can get up to the International Space Station without being some sort of a geek. Exactly. And I can't imagine anyone goes up there without having watched Star Trek. I don't care which nation you're from. Yeah. Because even if you don't start out a Star Trek fan, even if you don't end up a Star Trek fan, you have to have watched something. Yeah. Well, and interestingly enough, it was Jerry Ryan who brought up just how groundbreaking the original Star Trek was. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, you know, I wasn't really a fan of Star Trek when I got the job. I mean, I knew what it was, but I wasn't one of those I'd watched every episode once. But she said, well, you know, when you join this family of Star Trek, and you start to really understand and appreciate that you've joined the family that put the first interracial kiss on TV and that in the middle of the Cold War brought a Russian onto the bridge, mm-hmm. a Japanese-American onto the bridge. It was just so groundbreaking. And they continued with that through all of their shows in various ways. 
And she said it's an amazing thing to be a part of. I wish there was some way to trace back the, just the influence Star Trek has had back yeah. to Star Trek. In other words, if that one show never existed, yeah, I think the world would be a radically different place. And I don't think that's true of most shows, even most groundbreaking shows or most, you know, amazingly popular shows. I mean, Doctor Who has a huge, wonderful uh, history to it. But you look at the communicator, you look at flip phones. Yes. You look at the pad uh, stuff that, that even back in the original series or on Next Gen they had, you look at our computers today. Yeah. Our tablets and stuff. Yeah. You know, you... Quite frankly, you look at the floppy disk, the three... That was the other one I was going to go to. It looks exactly like the storage devices they had in the original series. The fact that we were inspired to make that and have moved beyond it. Yes. Is amazing in a variety of ways. You know, it's just from a technology point of view, it's been a massive influence. From a cultural standpoint, they've tossed a lot of ideas out there. They... they had such a diverse cast in the original series, a sense of inclusion, a sense of we will get past whatever our current struggles are. Well, and when they were asked, why is this the right time to bring Star Trek back to the audience in the air in a weekly fashion, that's part of what they point out. You know, when could be a better time to bring the optimism, the hope of Star Trek back to the audience in regular doses? Yeah. And remind them of that unifying everyone is welcome here message Mm -hmm. so yeah it was a great half hour and i spent more time in the room waiting for them to get there etc because that's how press conferences go and you know that's the system just to be clear this was not the panel correct this was the press only thing yeah we get press badges yeah so you know that's the system and you know that's what's gonna happen But it was a half hour well worth it. And just, you know, this is where they came after Hall H, which also was interesting in terms of they were fresh off of that emotion Mm -hmm. of having just been in Hall H with that huge crowd, you know. And it was also interesting to see how these actors from the very series interact in terms of they are very much one family. Well, you can't be kind of part of that franchise and not have done enough conventions and met enough of these people through those over the years mm-hmm. because even bacula who's newest to the franchise out of those guys his show's been off the air five six seven eight maybe ten years a while but does he make a lot of the convention appearances whether he makes a lot of the convention appearances or not there's the documentaries there's the you know agrees and the documentaries were an interesting thing to bring up um, William Shatner was talking about the captains mm-hmm. they filmed. And he said, you know, the captains were spread out geographically mm-hmm. so much that when he looked at the budget to make that, he realized the entire budget might get spent on air travel. Yeah. And it was a uh, moment. And it's, what do I do? What do I do? Well, he was up in Canada at the time he was figuring this out. And he thought, well... Okay, I'm going to call one of the Canadian airlines, and I'm going to ask for the president of the airline, and it's basically a, what kind of deal can you swing me? So he, he calls, and he says, I'm Bill Shatner, and I'd like to speak to the president of the airline. And he gave us the name, which I'm blanking on. And the secretary says, William Shatner, as in, he says, yes. He says, 
well, please hold Mr. Shatner. Mm-hmm. And he gets put through and he says, I'm Mr. Shatner and I have this budget and my travel is going to cost exactly this budget. And it's a documentary and this, that, and the other. And the guy says, no problem. You've got a plane. I'll deliver it. Okay. And he says, at this point, I'm in shock. Mm-hmm. I'm going, this can't be for real type reaction. But then I get to the airport. When the plane arrives, the president of the company is on the plane to help mm-hmm. deliver it. And as he comes down off the plane and greets me, he says, so part of why I'm in aeronautics yes. and became president of this airline is Star Trek, which inspired me. That's the kind of thing I would love for all of those stories that can be traced back to so-and-so went into this line of work or that line of work or made this discovery or this societal change or wrote this book or whatever. They can all be drawn back to that one source. He I'm pretty sure it was William Shatner telling the story. He was saying uh, he either has written or is writing. I think he has written a book with the title, I'm Making That. And it was because they were on set and they were in Mm. the set that had the dilithium crystals. And I believe it was Stephen Hawking who uh, came in, looked at and said, yeah, I know you think that's science fiction, but I'm making that. Yeah. The number of things that they have just inspired, again, both technically and otherwise, it's it's fundamentally changed the world, and for the better, I think. So, the number of people in all walks of life, again, like you said, being doctors or whatever, uh, that have been inspired in some way, shape, or form to a very meaningful degree, even if it was just continuing their education or continuing on whatever path they might have gone otherwise. Even if it was just inspiring them. To be more tolerant of other people, better to one another. I mean, I've been joking all day. I can't be in two places at once. Mm -hmm. There were a variety of other things on the schedule, etc., on the hall floor that I really wanted to do Mm -hmm. during the time I set aside for this, which including time to get from the hall to the other building this was in, etc. I set aside three hours Mm -hmm. for this to make sure I was there in time, etc., That was three hours really well spent, in my opinion. Well, I would agree with that. You don't know how I spent that time? Maybe. Because I said I I went to the Star Trek Eagle Moss panel. I got into my room. I was going to say, I went to, I didn't make it in. This was one that was in 28-something, brother. So it's it's on the very east side of the convention center, and the line went from the water to the street side, that that length, and then kind of doubled back. And I'm like, okay... It's a little bit of a line, but they're going to give a free toy. What the heck, Austin? Line starts moving forward, moving forward. I'm turning right about as I'm turning that U-turn. Like, yep, room's full. Line just kind of evaporates. Not entirely. I moved way the hell forward. I'm excited for Eagle Moss. That's a good turnout. It's a great turnout. I think they could have easily filmed the room twice the size because it's not clearly a big enough room. Um, There was a lot of, of definite interest there. Yeah. You know, and I think it's great for them. I think they're doing some wonderful stuff. They do the small kind of replica models of the ship that are amazing quality and detail. And they come with like a 16-page booklet. Where was this ship used in the the series? How was it designed? You know, what are the key episodes it was shown in? You know, things of that sort. Now, for some ships, like say the Enterprise D, 16 pages is nowhere near enough. For others that may have shown up maybe in a single episode, eh, <laughs> they've got a little bit more room for some other stuff. Um, and they take advantage of that uh, to show kind of more generalish sorts of things. 
Well, and we were seeing in their booth that Star Trek isn't the only license they have. It's not the only property they're making items for. I think we saw Marvel, Doctor Who. I was quite impressed when we went to the booth to realize that it was more than just the ships of the Star Trek Oh, absolutely. They do small two or three inch uh, kind of metal figures of DC characters, Marvel characters, again, with about a eight, 16 page booklet about the character. Um, and I've been very tempted by those, but they're 10, 12 bucks a shot and they have zillions of them. So rather than go broke, I, uh, I, I limit. And even with the Star Trek ships, I'm not getting every one of them. I don't need the Zinti ship for that, this, that, or the other, you know, whatever it is. I can't even remember all the damn species of the show. Well, the problem is I have outlawed your having Starfleet battles in your living room. I just don't have the space for all the ships, and frankly, I don't have the interest for all of them. That's true. There are some very obscure ships, I'll grant you. I've tried to limit it to screen-featured ships. Mm. That makes sense. The Enterprises, the Reliant, the Excelsior, Voyager, Defiant, things that had a, I don't say a profound influence on the show. Have they done the uh, Space Station Deep Space Nine? Oh, yeah. That's what I figured. And they're not all to the same scale. Oh, interesting. Okay. So they just did a pack of four shuttlecrafts, and those are way out of scale to, say, the Enterprises or whatever. Got it. And likewise, Deep Space Nine, that's huge, is kind of shrunk down. So it's it's not like it's a, a one-to-one scale uh, or consistent mm-hmm. scale across, nor would I want it to be. Yeah, yeah. But it's allowed me to get some, some great reference stuff on the various ships, you know, which I'm really into. So I went there and, and failed. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not far from, from Ballroom 20. And at 3.30 is the um, Supergirl panel, which is followed by The Legends of Tomorrow, which is followed by Flash, which is followed by Arrow. Yeah, that should have been your first tip-off. Well, yesterday, getting into Ballroom 20 was not that hard. That's very true. Today, so Ballroom 20 is goes from the street to the water on that side, in the middle of the convention hall, kind of above hall D or E. It's just east of the sales. Holds over 1,000 people. 1,200? Sounds about right. It's big. Not it's, as big as Hall H, but big. No, no, but it's noticeable. It's... The second biggest room, I think, in the convention center, Mm -hmm. but probably behind the Indigo Ballroom at the Bayfront. Or right about the same size. Very close, I think. Yeah, about. Okay. Um, And it's preferable because it's in the convention center. Yes. Yes. Well, and now they have those uh, very nice big monitors and uh, pretty, pretty good camera work on the people up on stage. So even if you're in the back of the room, you've still got a very nice view of what's happening on stage. Yeah, and I think the uh, the monitors and the camera have been more of a focus this year. Yes. Because of the uh, Comic-Con HQ. Yeah. Because even the one I went with, just Jim Lee and Dan Didio, had them up on the screen. Well, it's interesting. And it was funny because they're on stage. I was on kind of the far right side looking at the stage. Not the far, far, but that end of the room. So I could see them and kind of behind, not behind, but to the left of them was them again on the big screen. They were looking over their own shoulders? Kind of, sort of, but not quite. It was funny because I was looking at them from one angle, but then the camera was shooting straight on. So the image of them was at a different angle. It was, you know, about a 30, 45 degree off kind of thing. It was funny. So did you discover just how popular the DC shows on TV are? 
Well, I knew that they were, but the line stretched from, again, more or less the sales area to that end of the convention center uh, on the east side and back again. The outside portion and went outside and zags. I saw that it was an outside portion, and that was more than enough for me to say, well, I guess I'm not going to those. It curls and keys. Yeah. So I walked around the floor a bit more. Um, didn't didn't buy anything else. I'd already spent more than, frankly, more than I typically do. Um, I haven't spent tons and tons of cash today, but um, between the exclusive action figure and the uh, the shields, that's um, nice. more than I've probably spent in the last couple of years individually. Well, I came and found you uh, after Star Trek, in mm-hmm. part because I was excited and wanted to share. Yeah. I admit, um, 50 years of Star Trek just amazes me, delights me. And one of the questions at the press conference was kind of a how you all feel realizing it was 50 years of it and stuff. And they were all saying, you know, it's awesome to realize. And they credit the fans in large part. Oh, absolutely. That. And uh, Rod Roddenberry was saying, you know, we always thank the fans, and rightfully so, because without an audience, you have no show. He said, but sometimes I think I forget to thank the family of actors who Mm. put their hearts, their souls, their their 12 and 14 hour days into making this and their time away from their family. And and one of the things you were telling me over dinner was uh, the reason Michael Dorn was there. Because they had Brent Spiner. Yes. Uh, next gen. Yes. And we had asked one another beforehand, you know, Michael Dorn is such an interesting choice to represent Deep Space Nine. But as you were telling me over dinner, he's also the actor with the distinction of having been in the most Star Trek episodes. Yeah. The, the moment they introduced him that way, I'm like, yeah, he is a really good choice. And when you think about Brent Spiner as having been Data, he's such an iconic character. Well, if you think about it, the people they chose were the first captain, mm-hmm. depending how you count, that's either Archer or Kirk, but either way yeah. you're covered, and the, in at least two cases, the enemy turned ally with Worf and with Seven of Nine, and then uh, Data kind of epitomized the um, the alien striving to be human, if you will. Granted, he was an android versus a... Uh, an actual alien, but he filled the basic role of Spock, uh, Tuvok, Odo. Um, well, and Seven of Nine was the human trying to understand being human because she had spent so long as a Borg. You could argue whether it was Seven of Nine or um, a T'Pol, mm-hmm. who was kind of in that Spock role. And to a degree, both of them. Well, and I think to a lot of people, Seven of Nine is the most iconic female from all the series. Whether rightly or wrongly. Yeah, definitely one of them. Yeah. I can I can see that. Um, Either way, good lineup. Yeah, it was a great lineup, and they did a very good job. It was very enjoyable. Um, after that, uh, I persuaded you to let me drop stuff at the car. I had already been planning to do that and uh, had actually walked around a little trying to see if you dropped things at various places for me to pick up. I was so tempted, if I'd only known. Um... I thought Nerdist was open the same hours as the exhibit hall. Yeah, after we dropped stuff, I was surprised the Nerdist had closed down literally moments before we got there at uh, 5.45. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I was disappointed by that. I was too, because I I wanted to see what was happening there this year. 
I have really not spent much time or uh, if any really outside the convention center this time. Same with myself. I mean, last year we spent an entire morning over at the library with some yes. great panels and stuff over there. We went over to Nerd HQ at the Children's Museum. We made it over to the carnival thing that Nerdist was doing at the Petco Park. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, until we got turned down at uh, uh, the Nerdist stuff, that's when we first really headed over to, what were they calling that that thing in the parking lot by Petco? I forgot. The Imagination Park? Or Something like that. Interactive Park? I don't know what it yeah. was. And it was as much a couple of, you know, tangentially related, I mean, you had um, what was the, uh, the Geico A Geico bus. booth, um, a Ferris wheel that I'm still not positive what was connected to. Bunch of food trucks, mm-hmm. and then the Ash uh, Evil Dead. That was pretty cool looking, actually. At first I thought, wow, they've actually reproduced a small jack-in-a-box here. That's an interesting kind of a thing for jack-in-a-box. Oh, wait, that's part of the Ash Evil Dead thing. Never mind. That was fine. Um, and then the Conan TBS thing with Snickers somehow involved. Yeah. Uh, then we walked the uh, pedestrian The sky bridge, bridge thing. I really like the sky bridge. I really wish they would put one of those over mm-hmm. kind of from the middle of the convention center to uh, kind of where the uh, park area or grassy area in front of the uh, gasoline building is. Yeah, that'd be nice. I think it would ease a lot of traffic, uh, mm-hmm. pedestrian traffic. Well, our goal was to check out the FX zone. We were mm-hmm. curious about it, um, but I got distracted, shiny object syndrome. But in this case, it was uh, volunteers waving their arms saying, no line, enter, no line. For the Comic-Con HQ stuff. Yeah, and I was curious. I, I thought it was interesting. And for you downloading the app and signing up for a 30-day trial? Free 30-day trial that I can cancel anytime. I was given two Blu-ray copies of movies I don't own. Uh, part two of The Mockingjay uh, for The Hunger Games and Allegiant, mm-hmm. both of which we've got the previous installments of these franchises. Neither franchise have we watched any of. Yeah. So mm-hmm. at some point we may end up doing, you know, one of those trilogy sorts of, of episodes, Well, whether they're actual trilogies or, or not. Yeah. But there were movies I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Comic-Con HQ is something I'd been curious about trying. So yeah. it felt like a win-win. Absolutely. For me. Well, definitely for me. <laughs> I didn't have to sign up for anything. I was going to say, I think you really baffled one of the volunteers when you walked up to me right as I was done and receiving the Blu-rays and actually asked me, did you get the right movies? Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to be sure. It was fine. So we did that, walked a little bit more past the FX stuff, and the Son of Zorn? Son of Zorn, um, diagonal or slanted rock climbing. They had a rock climbing thing. I don't know what else happened because we worked behind the back side of it. And then there was this big inflated airbag thing. And I'm like, when you get to the top of the rock climbing, I don't think, yeah, I don't think that was just there for the heck of it. So I walked up the hill to go see it, and this guy comes basically running off and free-falling into it. I'm like, okay. We are not going to put the safety harness on you for the getting back down. I was quite alarmed when uh, after dinner we walked back and the the thing was deflated. (laughs) I'm like, don't jump now. It will hurt. Yeah. But uh, we we continued walking down behind the convention center, went over to Joe's Crab Shack, met up with uh, about another eight or nine people. 
they dealt very well with a large group of people. Yeah. And we were not the only large group. They had two or three others, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a really fun meal, uh, good food, good company, mm-hmm. great discussion. Got to catch up with a couple of people, uh, a few of which I hadn't even seen at the convention. So. <laughs> I was in the same boat. So kind of that, was, that was kind of fun. After that, we uh, headed over to um, one of uh, the, the hotel rooms of our friends just for again. We picked some stuff up. Would you like, you know, swapping? Yeah. And that was, that was fun. That was cool. I don't know how anyone comes to this convention alone. I'm grateful we don't. No. It's just there's too much to see and do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes whether the, the friends actually give you anything or not or swap things, just if they tell you, hey, you need to go check this out. Yeah. I was going to say they see things you don't see and tell you about things you weren't aware of, mm-hmm. have a different perspective. I it, mean, I've it's always considered there's the... The Comic-Con you head to, the Comic-Con you attend, and the Comic-Con you wish you'd gone to. Yeah. And this is no different. Again, I've barely spent any time outside the convention center, and there's so much going on out there. Yeah. So, it was a fun day. Uh, it was a good day again. Uh, uh, kind of lucking into the uh, the exclusive kind of please me finding the, the shields. Uh, that was kind of fun. Uh, a little bummed that I didn't make it to the, the Eagle Moss panel or any of the CW ones, but, you know, that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. So, not a big deal. Didn't sink too much time into it. Not upset about that. Would have enjoyed going to them, no doubt. Definitely. Well, I was teasing you after we went to the Comic-Con HQ zone, and I signed up for the 30-day free trial. I was asking you if when I got home, the convention we were at currently would be in reruns. Yeah, and I told you I thought it'd be fun if they only did that during Wizard Cons. Kind of the competing company or whatever that's a ha, We'll show you. Yes. I don't know what they're going to do. I hope that they air a lot of the stuff, not just streaming, but but rerun it. That'd be nice. Because I'd like to rewatch a few things, uh, and I'd love to watch a lot of the stuff I just couldn't make it to. Yeah. Yeah. There were several times when I was in a panel aware there was another panel going on that I'd like to be at, etc. So, yeah. Every panel I was in, I think they had the camera set up. Nice. And that included the how-to room. Um, I'm trying to think, six de or whatever it was, five. Um, so I haven't been in that many rooms, but all the ones I've been in seem to have. That's very cool. So now that we've got the trial, we'll find out. Yeah. So anything else on Saturday? No. Then we'll pick it up tomorrow after we've had yet another day of con. I hope we survive. Me too. It is about so oh, 9.45-ish on Sunday evening, as you can probably tell from how I sound. Whatever con crud or whatever was going around, I may have picked some of up. My throat is, is not feeling the way I would like it to be, but um, we have successfully survived uh, as much as we do any year, uh, Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. I am, uh, for the most part, uh, intact. How about you? Uh, I don't think I'll know for a day or two. My legs are vibrating. I'm exhausted. Yeah, my feet are, are definitely tired. Um, all in all, it was uh, it was a good day, but a little bit of a quiet day. I think I'd already done most of my my kind of half to list mm-hmm. uh, by yesterday. Today was more just kind of a going around the the floor and seeing what else there was to see. I did wind up buying another exclusive um, from from Bandai. I picked up their. Uh, uh, Miraculous Ladybug and Cat Noir 2-pack. 
that is a superhero franchise out of France mm. that's uh, become very popular uh, in the States, I believe. And it's basically kind of a Spider-Man black cat gender swapped as teenagers. Ah. And there are certain um, uh, aspects of the premise which are kind of cool. There's a villain who can let loose these moths or whatever that can kind of tap into somebody's dark desires and turn them into supervillains. So kind of almost the Power Ranger villain of the week kind of formula. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's it's a fun property. I've I've seen the pilot. I've really enjoyed it. I've uh, pre-ordered the comic through Action Labs. Haven't gotten them yet, uh, or if they have, they've been stacking up while I've been here. Uh, and looking forward to reading it. It's it's a fun property. Uh, beyond that, I didn't really buy anything else today. Uh, talked with Tom Zoller. He's always fun to talk to. Um, Caught up with one of my high school friends uh, today. That was fun. Um, but spent really most of the day, I think, with you just walking around. Mm-hmm. I had a few uh, to-do list items on the hall floor for friends who work booths. Mm-hmm. And I had promised to tell people from one booth about things from another booth. Pick up this yeah. postcard about one item and take it to another person. That kind of thing. Um, briefly got to walk the hall floor with a friend who works a booth, and it's kind of fun to see what other people see. Well, and there is a large contingent of people who have been coming to Comic-Con on a regular basis, but as exhibitors, and therefore, to a degree, have never really seen Comic-Con. Yeah. Um, Because a lot of the guys I talk to at the different booths, it's like they've got whatever is within direct line of sight, and that, for them, is the totality of con to a mm-hmm. degree. Mm-hmm. Well, and, uh, for instance, one of our friends in Artist Alley has worked on an app called Chortopia, mm-hmm. which is uh, integrating kids' real-life chores into an app where it's part of an interactive story. Mm-hmm. And I had been telling the uh, somewhat one of the book publisher books about the app when they mentioned they had a seven-year-old child. So one of my to-do list items today was get a postcard about the app and take it to this parent who had been thinking, you know, if someone can make doing chores fun for my child, yeah, that's a score. Absolutely. I said, I don't know that I can, you know, anyone can guarantee your kid's going to be begging to do chores, but hey. Well, but that's one of the fun things about Comic-Con is you never know what's kind of hidden a few aisles away. Or over an artist alley or small press or one of the exhibitor booths mm-hmm. that somebody else would find just really cool or handy or a gotta have for whatever reason. Yeah. So it's, uh, I've always said there's something for everybody at Comic Con. You've just gotta kind of look to find it sometimes. Yeah. And give some thought as to what you're looking for. Mm hmm. You know, I had a couple of things I, I wanted to get the, the Red Ranger figure, the uh, Cat Noir, um, Ladybug one. But like the cap shields yesterday. Hadn't expected that. Happy accident. Yeah. Several of the things that I picked up, uh, like today, I saw something in a booth I'd been by several times and simply hadn't noticed before. And it was a poster of the ABCs, but with Star Wars images to mm-hmm. go with each letter. And I know several people with kids that are five and under. And I was thinking, you know. These are geek parents raising geek kids, and, you know, their kids are going to love these posters. Yeah. Well, <coughs> this was Kids Day, and I did see a number of kids kind of dressed up 
Yes. Um, at one point when we had stopped by one booth so you could drop a book off with uh, some friends, um, I noticed uh, a kid dressed up as uh, Rocket Raccoon mm. from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Another was Squirrel Girl. I saw some kids in a, a variety of different Star Wars costumes. I saw a little girl dressed up as Supergirl, very excited to get her picture taken with someone dressed up as BB-8. Mm-hmm. And what cracked me up was the little girl looked like she was maybe, you know, three or four years old, and the BB-8 looked more like college age. Mm-hmm. So the scale was kind of inverted. Well, that's funny. I saw one family at one point when I was out in the lobby that was Batman, Huntress, and Batgirl. Mm. And I saw one group today that was uh, part of the Scooby gang, mm-hmm. Fred, Daphne, Velma, uh, two other girls at another point, Daphne and Velma. And then once or twice I would see... A group clearly together, but having different tastes in what to cosplay as. And, you know, it's funny because, on the one hand, I like the groups that do the coordinated stuff. On the other hand, that can be tough, and not everyone's into the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all good. Saw one or two, um, we saw the hawk girl up under the sails with the, the articulated wings. That was beautiful. Um, some of the craftsmanship that goes into these costumes. We saw one downstairs on stilts. I'm not entirely sure what he was, but it was a nice outfit. Yeah. Um. So both the the craftsmanship and in some cases just the flat out mechanics. Yeah. If you hear odd sounds, I think that's the ice machine in the uh, refrigerator here at the hotel going nuts. Um. On the upside, maybe our cooler really will be cold tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. We stay at the uh, the Homewood Suites out in Liberty Station. We got a little kitchenette and stuff. Um, and it works works out well. I mean, it's a few minutes to get to and from the convention center area, but we've got uh, reserved parking over there, so that's that's not a problem. But it's nice getting away from the, the hubbub. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other night, I guess it was Friday night, we did the sushi here. Yes. Um, whereas last night, again, we did Cro- Joe's Crab Shack. Tonight, we had um, home-cooked meal with uh, a college, or not a college, high school friend of mine. That was a lot of fun, just catching up and uh, seeing how things were going uh, for them and stuff. Um, and that's it's, that's one of the things I really love about San Diego, is having grown up out here. I know a bunch of people, just again, high school and stuff like that. But then also, through the con, you get to know some of these people over the years. Yeah. At the different booths, that kind of stuff. Sometimes they remember you from year to year, sometimes they don't. Yeah. But... Um, all in all, it was it was fun. What else did we do today? I, we did a lot of walking around. Mostly it was walking the floor, uh, having second looks at some booths. There were some places we realized we hadn't had a chance to see. Uh, you took me by Think Geek, which I hadn't had a chance mm-hmm. to see yet. You took me by several booths I hadn't spotted yet. Um, there were a few booths that on previous days had been hard to get near. And yes. today was a day that we could get near them. Uh, today the floor had more people on it, it felt like, than previous days. It was funny because I felt the floor was busier, but a couple of booths like Hasbro or the, the Star Wars Pavilion, stuff like that, were a little less busy. Yeah, the people were in different places today, which meant different parts of the floor felt accessible. Well, and I think today was a big shopping day for a lot of people. Definitely. A lot of booths had stuff on discount because they don't want to haul it back, and that makes sense. But, you know, for me, um, some of the stuff, it's like, I want it, I'll see it, I'll get it when I see it. Um, others, it's like, you know, because like the uh, Cat Noir and, and Ladybug stuff, they still had some of the exclusives. Yeah. Okay. 
But if somebody was really diehard, oh, I've got to have this, it wasn't that big of a deal to me. Yeah. You know, if I'd walked out of the convention without it, I'd have been just fine. But it was cool, so I got it. Um, but there are a lot of, of people that wait for the last day before buying anything, which makes for, I think, a nerve-wracking convention for exhibitors. Yes. And there's no guarantee it'll still be there when you want it. Yes. Um, but yeah, we did spend a lot of the time just, oh yeah, let me show you this. Mm-hmm. Did you see this and, and sort of a thing? Um, because it's such a big convention that things I had just kind of stumbled across, I think we're in parts of the hall, that again, you just hadn't gone down that particular aisle. Yeah. Or in a few cases, I'd gone down the aisle, but I'd probably been looking left when what you wanted me to see was on the right. Or I took you by the hoopla booth. Mm-hmm. Um and got them to give you the spiel so you would understand it in a way I had not been able to explain it. Yeah. Which I knew would be the case. Well, and that's that's another thing with the con, is there's a lot to see and more than you can really take in. Yeah. Because when I walk the whole floor, I don't stop at each and every booth and, you know, give them an inquisition on what do you have, why should I care, etc. Mm-hmm. In many cases, I am walking down the aisle, I will glance over, oh, that's anime, I don't care too much about that, or, oh, that's um, superhero toys, I care about that, or that's comics, or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. This is a publisher I buy stuff from, I want to ask a question, this is one where I don't care for their stuff, you yeah. know, whatever it may be. But I will make literally thousands of snap judgments like that over the course of, of walking the hall. In about that speed. Well, there are times when what happens to be front and center on their display table in the moment is different this hour from next hour. Yes. And that's why there are some booths that I'll cycle by five or six times in one day is because I'm aware I only like 10% of their catalog. But that's also kind of why I like... Say, the uh, designated uh, survivor. Yes. Which is a sizable, recognizable booth that's, for one thing, the entire time. Yeah, and I get that. Because there's a certain, I just want to check some stuff off the list, but there's other stuff, yeah, I do kind of want to circle back and see what's new. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I totally understand why Delray slash all the other imprints it's bundled with is spread out to basically... Two, definitely two, possibly three places in the hall. Mm-hmm. Star Wars Pavilion has the Star Wars titles yeah. from Delray. Then you've got the 1515 area where mm-hmm. they had the huge area. And I think the audiobooks were over on 1000. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But today they had a, if you buy two books or more, it's 50% off. Mm-hmm. That's fabulous. Except I wanted one Star Wars book. Yeah. And one book over at 1515. Well, and the other thing is every year when they do this, anyone who is new to con this year is going to get wise. And next year, it's, you know what? I'm going to wait till Sunday. And then, like I said earlier, there are a lot of things mm-hmm. that won't last that long. Well, and earlier, like on Thursday, they had a buy one book and you get a paperback for free. And they have paperback I already have the ebook of. And it was kind of a, it's a, yeah, I mean, it's a free book. That's awesome. Barry kind of have it. Yeah. And I paid for it. So it's kind of a, it doesn't feel free. When I walked into the Star Wars Pavilion, there was a buy one book, get two free going on. And I know that's right because somebody was questioning it and he's like, no, no, you heard me right. That's wild. 
it's Sunday afternoon. Was that the kind of the DK end of where Del Rey was? Thereabouts. Yeah, that's kind where, of as you go in. Yeah, that's where they had the kids for the junior novels. That may be. You know, I was very and still am very interested in the novelization of The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And that was one, but it's still in hardback only. Yeah. Uh, the paperback comes out in September. I did ask. Well, in, in hardbacks, they're just that much heavier and stuff and bigger. Yes, yes. So a little bulky to, to carry around. Yeah. But I'm looking around the hotel room, I, I think you did pretty well on this year's haul. Oh, I'm yeah. counting at least... Now, I did pick up... Three some, dozen books, bare minimum. I did pick up some books for friends, so... Yeah. You know, there are, you are seeing some duplicates, because uh, some of my friends' kids have finally graduated to the reading point, mm-hmm. and some friends are reading and made the mistake of telling me what they're reading. Mm. So, I was paying attention more this year for, oh, so-and-so will like this, so-and-so will like this, so-and-so's kid. Right. You know, and on the one hand... That made it harder for me because normally I can make, like you were saying, with the snap judgments. Yeah. I want this. I don't want this. As opposed to having to stop and actually think when I've got five other people kind of in my head. Right. What would so-and-so's kids like? Yeah. What is this other person interested in? Yeah. 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 But, I mean, there's plenty of freebies to be had, Mm -hmm. at least in certain sectors. Yes. We get a lot of posters, a lot of postcards. Tons of books, a couple of DVDs. I liked the uh, book plates DK had. I'm pretty sure it was DK. Um, right. This book belongs to. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Batman, Lego, Iron Man. Sounds right. Yeah. I thought that was a nice idea. And I loved watching one of the employees calmly and patiently. It's the wrong way to describe it. But very sweetly and tenderly explain it to about an eight-year-old. Mm. This is how you open up the book. This is how you find the right place inside it to put a book plate. Mm-hmm. This is what you do with the book plate. This is why you want one of these. Well, it's something that I think a lot of parents these days mm. are from that generation of ours that isn't that familiar with book plates. Yeah. Compared to, say, our parents. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, at least in our household, because there were multiple siblings. Yeah. Book plates were not always smiled upon. Mm hmm. <laughs> book plates <coughs> Book plates did not always encourage sharing. Yeah. I I think if they had been meant to encourage returning, uh book plates would have been smiled upon, but um because it was afraid that they would discourage sharing. Mm hmm. They were discouraged. But I thought they were adorable. Yeah. So I picked up a few. And in fact, I got enough that for a friend's four-year-old, I can give her a set. I always try to pace myself to where by Sunday, I've definitely walked the hall floor. Some years I go through and feel a bit more energetic than I did this year and try to do kind of a quick blast through a second pass Mm. just to see what I might have missed. Didn't really feel the need for that this time um, because I hadn't really seen anything like, ooh, I should go back for this later. Or, uh, and I felt I'd done a fairly thorough job the, f- the first time. Some years, like the year there was the Pan Am booth, I would get a text from a friend of, oh, you can't miss this booth. Or, oh, you can't miss, mm-hmm. you know, this display, this something. And there wasn't any of that this year. Everything was enjoyable. Don't get me wrong. There was nothing bad. 
but there was nothing breakout spectacular. Yeah, no breakout hit. I would say that was probably true not only in terms of booths on the hall floor, which is not uncommon. True. Pan Am, I think, was a rarity. Yeah. But I also don't think there was any... You had to have been to this panel because... Yeah. Um, I didn't get that kind of a buzz on the Star Trek Beyond movie or anything else that, that was available to be had. Nobody was saying, oh, wow, you have to go outside the convention center and check out. Or if they were, we didn't hear it at the yeah. very least. Yeah. And we have a, a, a decent enough reach of people. Yeah. Well, and we were talking, at least I was, to people in line when we would sit down mm-hmm. uh, under the sails at lunchtime. Yeah. I mean, there's easily a few dozen people that if there was something that they felt, oh, geez, got, everybody's got to go see this, they would have told us. Yeah. You know? And even beyond that, the people at the booths, et cetera, that some years there are certain things that just, again, spread virally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a good convention, well-organized, mm-hmm. well-orchestrated. Um, well, and we were talking at one point about just... The volunteers and the security people, they have a tough job. Yes. And they do it so well. And at one point, we were getting on the escalators to go down. And one of the security people pulled someone aside and said, your shoelaces are untied. That'll be a hazard at the bottom of the escalator. Mm -hmm. Please, let's tie your shoelaces and not risk an entry. Yeah, they had people very attentive on the escalators. Which, on the one hand, people's like, geez, man, what's the big deal? It's just slowing it down. I can understand somebody having that opinion. I think they are incorrect. Uh, because we've been to a couple where somebody's gotten seriously hurt. Yeah. And it then s- totally stops the escalator, the line, and everything for quite some time. Yeah. And, man, that's not fun for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm- for them to have pulled a couple of people off, hey, tie your shoelace, or... Be careful about this or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I am all for because these people are trying to make sure we have a good time. Exactly. And I think by and large, they succeeded. Yeah. Were there a few times they were a little um, hyper vigilant? You know, when I'm in a panel and I've got the backpack on the seat next to me and there's like five empty seats beyond that and they're like, hey, you got to take the backpack down. Okay. A little annoying, but I get it. Yeah. Um. You know, we were in one panel in ballroom 20 where they've got essentially the ushers with the lights. Yes. But we were at the start of the block, kind of under the uh, the second set of screens or whatever. And then they had the person in front of me kind of walked between me and the screen in front of me. It's like, okay. But once they realized they did that, they got out of the way. Yes. So they're trying to be unobtrusive. They're trying to be helpful. Are they going to succeed 100% of the time? No, probably not. But their heart's in the right place, their intent is good, and given the number of people milling around in this convention center, the amount of activity going on, you know, I didn't hear really of, of any problems mm-hmm. to speak of in terms of traffic flow, uh, injuries. I mean, I'm sure there are stories to be had, but from my perspective, things ran very smoothly here. Yeah. And when I was in some lines... Here's where you got to be. Okay, when the line gets moving, it moves. Mm-hmm. You know, there have been other years, panels would stack up and get behind like an hour and a half just because getting people in and out was problematic. Yeah. So they, they've they mastered the venue. Yeah. Um, They figured out how to keep the traffic flowing, how to schedule things accordingly. Um, And 
yeah, I heard a lot of, hey, keep it moving on the whole floor. But there were very, very, I mean, maybe two or three times where it's like, yep, I'm not getting down that aisle. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it was, like today and yesterday, a little crowded at times. But I could get where I needed to go and it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was trapped yes. in a sea of humanity as I felt in some past years. I will say at one point when we were moving about today, I looked at, towards one direction and I'm like, yeah, that is where someone with a fear of crowds or claustrophobia should not go. Mm-hmm. So I'm going the other direction. Because there were places where it's just something over there is a huge draw for the mass of humanity. And whatever it is, I'm not interested. Well, I had the uh, Walking Dead area yes. the other day when I was trying to walk that end of the hall. And it's like, you know, I'm just not going to make it. I'll come back to this later. Yeah. You know, you've you've got to go with that as a, as an assumption. When they've got a big draw at some booth, and they will. Yeah. At many, many booths across the, the span of the hall. Maybe that's not the right time to be there if you're not into that kind of a thing. Yeah. If you're into that kind of thing, it's the best time to be there. Yes. But there were a couple of booths from past years I noticed were not there this year. Um, the comic base mm. guy. Interesting. Um, if Inkworks was there, I'm not even sure if they're still in business, but that was a booth that, okay, maybe 10, 15 years ago now, it was while Angel was, I think, still on the air shortly thereafter. They had, uh, their booth set up for karaoke. I don't remember seeing top cards either, tops cards, the I other train mean, cards. Yeah. And again, not saying they're there, they just didn't stand out. There are many yeah. booths that... And I didn't walk the whole floor. I walked a lot of it, but not the whole floor. Well, in many booths, it's even if I recognize what it is as I'm standing in front of it 10 minutes later, because I've gone through many other booths, I've forgotten. Yeah. But Inkworks back in the day had Andy Hallett. Yeah. um, Played the host on Angel, who, man, not only was he a terrific singer, he could work a crowd. He could. And that was, um, he's since passed away, which is a tragedy. But they had him, sans makeup, basically kind of being the host and being himself. Yeah, it was fantastic. They had a karaoke thing. He had people singing. He would help where he needed to, not where he didn't. And it was a party going on there. It was a blast. Yeah. Nothing like that this year. Yeah. Um, And that that's another one of those once in a blue moon sort of yes. things. Yeah. Having the right booth, the right crowd, the right person. Um, and there may have been other people who, who hit that sort of a thing this year, but really I spent almost all my time in the convention center, never made it over to the library this time, didn't go to any programming over in the, uh, the Bayfront Hilton or, um, any of the other venues for that matter. Yeah. So, I mean, there was plenty more to the convention than we saw. Didn't make it to Nerdist or, uh, Nerd HQ. Um, it's just, it's too big of a convention for any one person to really say, yep, I saw it all. Yeah. Which, you know, on the one hand is great, on the other hand kind of sucks, but not a bad problem to have. Yeah. There's there's always something going on, and it really underscores to me the importance for convention of this size and magnitude. Look at the programming ahead of time. Look at the floor plan ahead of time. Figure out what you want out of the convention. Yeah. Plan accordingly. And prioritize. Absolutely. And as I was teasing one of your friends, you know realize that there's so many cool things going on you can't lose you know but have a backup plan yes yes 
But Yesterday, I couldn't get into panels. I had other stuff I could do. Recognize you can only be in one place at a time. And wherever you go, you're going to have a great time. And make the most of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Whether it was your first choice or not. Because, again, that's that's where you happen to be. Yeah. You know, I had a, a great time. Um, I think I've had some better convention experiences. But this was definitely up there. Uh, well above average, certainly beyond the just barely acceptable. I mean, it was it's a good convention. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm happy with it. Um, but I am tired. I'm exhausted. It's been some long days. Uh, getting over there, going through the day, getting back, recording. Don't forget doing your weightlifting for me. Yes, bringing all these books into the hotel. So tomorrow, when we pack out to the car, I can take them back out to the car. Um, so. We probably ought to start thinking about uh, packing up a little bit so we can load the, the car with all of this stuff. I don't know how it's all going to fit, but we usually figure that out each and every year. Um, after this, we're planning on going up to Anaheim for SIGGRAPH. We're planning on recording afterwards. 50-50, that's going to be a separate episode. Could wind up being part of this. It's also possible it'll be a separate episode, and we continue this if anything exciting happens on the way home. Otherwise, uh, this may be the end of the episode, but I'm a very um, flexible person in terms of this sort of a planning. So uh, if there's more, there's more. If there's not, there's not. Anything else? That does it. So we are sitting in our car in the parking garage outside of SIGGRAPH. Uh, 2016, that is the graphics convention. Let's start with an apology. We think a few of the vehicles nearby are using echolocation as part of their navigation technique. You stole my joke. Yes, we're in the garage and we've we've been hearing this, this intermittent honking and it's like, it doesn't work that way for driving. It's not a, a sonar system. It's certainly an active system. I do love that you've been giving me entertainment while setting up to record, though. Yes. So, SIGGRAPH is one of the large um, graphics uh, conventions covering 2D, 3D, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality. Um, and the company I bought my latest computer from a couple of months back had sent an email about a week or two before Comic-Con saying they were going to be here, and if, you know, their customers wanted an exhibit hall-only badge, here's the code. Then I looked up where SIGGRAPH was. It's here in Anaheim. We were going to be down in San Diego the last couple of days for Comic-Con. And I'm like, you know, this is a, a place I've been wanting to check out. Mm-hmm. And this was a good year to do it because, you know, I, I'm considering do I want to take my interest in comics and do content creation, either be it on YouTube, uh, which seems like a lot of work, or be it actually producing a comic book, which also seemed like a lot of work. Um, so I wanted to just see what the space, the the graphics technology space was like. From my perspective, watching you walk the floor, I saw a lot of interesting things. But two booths stood out to me mm-hmm. in my admittedly limited understanding. Because one seemed to be very much a, our software will help you build the city. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, a cityscape one. I picked up a ton, literally a ton of brochures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But the other one was, uh, okay, so you've got your your city, your world, your people, your whatever, but you need nature. You need trees. There was one that does, 
Well, that's the fun thing is some of these companies really specialize. Some are very general. So you've got, like, again, the first one you were talking about where it will generate, I guess, a cityscape. I'm, I'm going to go back in there and get a little more info from some of these places. But that one, like you said, does a full cityscape if you want. And I couldn't tell if you wanted, like, Manhattan or if you wanted to create Metropolis, how it would work. Yeah, it fascinated me because just thinking in terms of the content creation you might want to do. There are times when you want to be able to see the city on the horizon. Or from the skies, you've got a flying hero, you just need a cityscape. Yeah. Other times, you want a particular part of the city in a very particular scape. Yeah. Um, and then again, that other one that does trees with wind effects and all sort of things, that seemed more geared towards gaming, um, but it seemed like it would also be able to be put into you know, a 3D scene or whatever. So I need to get a little more conversant in, in the technology mm-hmm. because uh, Poser, which Smith Micro is, is here, of course, um, would be one of the technologies I would use for that aspect of things. Um, Manga Studio, which is now Clip Paint Studio Pro, uh, they renamed it to be in alignment with the Japanese version of the Got software. Um, because Smith Micro doesn't do the software, they just release the software. They're the publisher of it. I understand. Um, so that would be what I would use for, for laying out the pages and stuff. But then just seeing what other technologies is, are available for, again, creating the cities, creating the landscapes. Um, there were quite a few that had uh, VR, or not VR, um, uh, motion capture rigs. Yes. Uh, some that were very much set up a basketball court size thing. And then one or two that it's just a very, you know, put this, you know, strap suit on kind of a thing. And it, it doesn't need external cameras. It does it all with sensors. Mm-hmm. So you could do it in a much tighter, confined space. There was one booth that uh, stopped us to talk, not necessarily about their product or anything. They just reached out Gretnock. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but they were fascinated. We'd come up from Austin to check it out. Uh, but I loved what their product was because they realized pretty much everybody mm. in the room might have need for something that would simply make what they're doing render faster. Yeah. Uh, technology to speed up rendering by two to twelve times, and for comic book stuff that wouldn't be a big deal. But that's an that's an edge case. A lot of these people are doing it either for uh, video game cutscenes, movies, TV, and literally the biggest part of the budget is yep, you've got all the assets, you've put it all together. Now you just need to have it render at you know thirty frames a second uh, for for two hours of, well, of content or something. At one point, I wanted uh, one of my photos. To uh, turn into a painting filter through Adobe and be poster size, 24 by 36, because it was a beautiful shot. And I remember staring at the screen while that rendered. Yeah. The render time is just the killer. And that's one of the things that uh, Posers really worked on for the comic book stuff is you don't have to go through the full render process. You can almost preview it and get exactly what you need with the line work and stuff, um, which, again, speeds up the process immensely. And somehow that reminds me that we saw quite a few 3D printers, one yeah. of which had um, much, uh, I want to say, smoother edges, even at seemingly uh, lower resolution. That one was one of the ones where... It's got resin. It uses, uh, in that case, a a video projector to kind of shine the light, cure the resin, 
and it lifts out. So not only do things print a bit faster, they print at a very uh, cleaner resolution. And because of the way it works, the layers adhere much better and don't have kind of the, uh, the micro toothpaste sort of effect where you've got very clear bands of, of yeah. striations or whatever in the print. Well, and I really liked the colors of the material that they were showcasing. There was one that was fairly translucent, and I could see doing that for like a cutaway kind of a, a aspect of a, a spaceship or some such. There was one that we walked by where they had done a uh, 3D printed uh, lollipop in the traditional multi-rainbow colors. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, the the Play-Doh toy colors is what I've seen so much of the 3D printed stuff come out in. Well, a lot of it is done in ABS, which is literally what Lego is made of. And it's got those kind of vibrant colors. Yeah. And this had more of a, a charcoal black. Uh, they also have flexible material for making wheels and tires. Yeah. I was watching um, a video on YouTube the other day on uh, kind of what can be done with, with printing. And there was a, a very, it was a, a lifelike face mask out of a flexible material. That's amazing. I mean, like a Mission Impossible sort of a, it was crazy. Um, so, I mean, just the technology, uh, the way it grows from year to year and stuff is insane. One of the demos I'm really glad we saw was for the camera. They did, we saw two different uh, 360 camera things, really, I think. But the first one, the... Theta? Re yeah, Rico Theta. That was one that I've had my eye on for a while. The price is not bad. Um, $329. It's a very thin device. Mm -hmm. And it's about uh, six inches tall, seven maybe, with two lenses, one on each side. And it does, you know, it stitches the thing together full 360 that you can then uh, put straight either onto YouTube, Facebook, wherever, um, and you edit the thing on your phone if you wanted to. And the uh, I, I've been watching the 3D camera space for a while, thinking that would be fun to take to, uh, to Comic-Con. And this is one of the lead contenders, particularly after seeing the demo, because the guy just took a photo while we were there, and he made sure to have his arm outreached so there was something to see, kind of an all 360. And the... Uh, the focus was really solid. Mm -hmm. He spun it around on the monitor in front of us. Let me do that. And there was no visible seam anywhere. Yeah. Now, with these things, typically, when you look at the, the very bottom, there's a little bit of, of artifacting or whatever that's just literally unavoidable on that kind of a device. Mm -hmm. um, there are ways to get around that, but not with that sort of a device. One of the things that we saw two versions of... Um, one was in where they had the, the glasses on top of the camera thing. Yes. Another was at the, I forget which booth, but it was GoPro exactly. Um, where they have, with the GoPro setup, it's like six cameras, six GoPro cameras mounted on a cube. They've got the field division that overlap and you can stitch it all together, but it takes some processing. I've seen the, uh, the tutorial for that on, on YouTube. Mm. Whereas this other one used 13 GoPro cameras in their special rig. And it did it in stereo, so you got depth of field and stuff. And they were showing a demo of, uh, like, a New York tour. Mm. And what was interesting is it was kind of sort of the gargle, uh, the gargle, the Google Cardboard VR. See, if I say it slower, it makes sense. 
<laughs> but instead, it looked like almost wireframe glasses with lenses that just attached to the camera, which were kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And they had price points for it, but this is more of a trade show than a consumer show. So, of course, their price points are like the per hundred. Yeah. Since that's something you would be giving or, or using for a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, whereas if they'd had, you know, single unit prices, I might have considered. And you might have been able to talk to them about that. Yeah, I may. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to go back in. It's it's still early in the day. Well, and that seemed to be one where uh, they were saying it works with our app and our footage. Mm -hmm. That was a limitation there. Ah, so making sure it would work with any VR stuff is mm -hmm. worth checking. Mm -hmm. uh, what else do we see? There were a lot of render farms. Yeah. A lot of cloud computing things. Um, a number we, of places teaching how to do stuff. You know, and I noticed that because when we were going off to college, um, getting a degree in radio, television, film was still kind of a why are you doing it? Not many people were getting degrees in this type of thing. Well, and now they've got degrees in you know, 3D graphics or, or things of that sort. But one of the things we got from Cinema 4D, which was one of the bigger uh, booths, was uh, Google Cardboard setups. Yeah. Um, one of the other places had demos of all their stuff on a USB drive that was almost credit card size. Yeah. A little thicker, of course. But that was very interesting. What else did we see in there? There was B&H uh, Video, which is a big superstore out in uh, New York. They had some drones to show, picked up one of their catalogs. I bought a, matter of fact, I think I bought this uh, Zoom uh, H5 we're recording on from them. Either them or Amazon. I know I watched the reviews for it on their stuff. I know I bought one of my cameras from them. Yeah, great yeah. place to, to look for stuff. They do very detailed reviews, um, great resource. Um, so we saw them, uh, Smith Micro we talked about. Uh, again, Puget Systems uh, out of uh, Washington State. There's a hardware vendor uh, for, for desktops and stuff. Um, thank them for, you know, the badges and stuff. Um, they seem to be great guys. I'm very happy with the computer I've got. That's what I use for running my uh, my new displays and doing all my uh, podcast editing and whatnot. And where I would be doing all the, any graphic stuff I would do because it's a beefy system. Um more virtual reality, I think, than augmented reality. I really didn't mm. see anything that leaps out as, as being augmented. Mm. And I'm a little more interested in that space because it's it's putting stuff on top of what you're seeing, not replacing. Yeah. And I think there's needs and uses for both. But I long for the day where I could go to Comic-Con and have told it when I'm at DC, I want this, that, and the other. And it remind me of that as I walk by the booth. Good sized crowd, but sparser than Comic Con. Again, it's a trade show, not a convention, you know, fan convention sort of a thing. Definitely an information overload situation for someone like me. There's just everywhere you turn, there's so yeah. much to learn, so much to be aware of in terms of not just the information, but realizing how many products there are with not just subtle nuances between them. But they would have the computer display with five rows of seating in their booth. Of we're happy to do a demonstration. The um, well, that's one I want to go back to. Actually, was one of those that had a uh, uh, clothing attire. That's the one I was thinking. Yeah. Of. And what interests me with that is 
it's got software for designing clothing. And I'm like, wow, you know, I, I know you could model the clothing or whatever, but this is set up for how the fabric would actually work. So you would wind up with something a bit more realistic for your computer model, for your video game, your comic book, your movie, whatever. Mm -hmm. But what it's really meant to do is then produce the patterns and information you would need to get the clothing made. Mm -hmm. Now think about that from a cosplay perspective. Yeah. What a brilliant idea. You know, you model a character that, that has your dimensions. Mm-hmm. And then you, this is how I want it to look, how I want the clothing. I want it to drape this way. I want it to do that, whatever. Um, so I want to get more information. I want to sit through their demo. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that was fascinating to me that we were just starting to look at before we decided we should come record um, was there's a section where it kind of looked like Artist Alley at Comic-Con. Not Artist Alley, the art auction. Sorry, yes. The art auction. Um, and it's basically a bunch of... Uh, picture a science fair, but instead of the the folded dioramas, it's just here's a uh, a one poster board kind of a thing of your project. Here's the problem. Here's the proposed solution. Here's what we did. Here's a QR code to get more information. And look, here's the person who did the project. Yeah. And it was everything from how to do compositing with GoPro video stuff, because apparently that's really hard because you've got the wide footage and stuff or the uh, the wide angle. Um, and we only went down one of the, like, eight, nine aisles of these things. Mm -hmm. But basically, this is, again, one of the large, largest, potentially, um, graphics trade shows and conferences. So people who are doing groundbreaking work in special effects, computer graphics, virtual reality, augmented reality, they're presenting their material here. Yeah. And in some cases, they're, like, standing right there. So you can say, okay, how did you do this? Let me... I've mm -hmm. got questions on this. Yeah, just amazing. So it seemed very interesting. I want to want to go back to that part. Um, see, we talked about uh, a lot of the virtual reality. Again, a lot of high-end um, hardware vendors on graphics cards, render farms, things of that sort. I was expecting a little bit more on the software side uh, than I really noticed on the first pass of the room. But overall, it's been fascinating. It's an interesting... Um, conference to go to and there was this whole vr village in area that because we have the cheap seats pass we couldn't get into and it's yeah i don't want to pay the extra 50 bucks for that but certainly something i would consider uh, in the future yeah if we come back and if our legs were not already exhausted from a previous convention that too geez um this is not the sort of thing i would need to come to every year but if I were in the space, um, I could totally see the value in coming and, and just seeing what's new and stuff. Definitely. So, anything else? I think I will allow you to go back in there and have more fun. All right. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.